If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 716. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you enroll free of charge and purchase one or 20-plus classes there. My on-demand content is great, but I've got this new McClanahan Academy live. You're hearing about it this week because enrollment closes very soon. You're going to want to get in on it. You get that $200 off coupon by using Causes. Just click on the class, Causes of the Civil War. You get the $200 deal. And, of course, you get in that live class where you get access to me four times, minimum hour and 15 minutes each one of those sessions. And we talk about all the material that we're going to cover in the class. And I mentioned it, I talked about it in detail this Monday, what that's going to mean. It's a super awesome class. You're going to walk away from that class with a better understanding of the causes, at least how historians have interpreted it, too. You're going to know all the different interpretations. And you're going to be able to fight back against any of it. Oh, yeah, so you're just regurgitating this thesis. Oh, yeah, so you're just saying this. You're going to be able to refute anything they say. It's fantastic. And you would pay 10 times as much at a university or college. So get that class. I mean, it's so good. You're really going to want it. Not only is it live, you've got on-demand content. You've got all the stuff that I'm going to want you to read. It's so good. Um, it, it's it's just uh, something that I think is really going to create a new type of interest in McClanahan Academy. But you got to get in on it because I'm not going to run this class forever, right? So I may not offer it again. You want to get it now. We meet six weeks, or the class is open for six weeks. We meet four times during the month of November and early December. So um, I, it, well, we wrap up before the holidays. We take a week off for Thanksgiving. Uh, it's not going to infringe on your time. And you can get these webinars if you miss them, right, or the, the live sessions. If you miss them, you can go back and watch them later. Of course, you can't interact with me at that point. So you're going to want to get in those live seminars. Uh, but you can get them later if you miss them. you got to have a webcam. you got to have a, a, a microphone because it is going to be live. You are going to be wanting to ask me direct questions. Good class. Fantastic stuff. You can also, causes... Coupon code CAUSES, CAUSES OF THE CIVIL WAR IS A CLASS, GET THAT $200 OFF. YOU CAN ALSO SUPPORT THE SHOW BY uh, CLICKING ON THE SUPPORT TAB AT BRIANMCCLANAHAN.COM, CLICKING ON THE SUPER THANKS BUTTON IF YOU'RE WATCHING ON YOUTUBE. YOU CAN THROW A FEW PENNIES MY WAY THERE, GET MY LOGO AND ALL KINDS OF COOL STUFF AT THE SHOP TAB AT BRIANMCCLANAHAN.COM. Uh, YOU CAN ALSO, OF COURSE, RATE, REVIEW, AND SUBSCRIBE TO THE PODCAST, GIVE IT THAT FIVE-STAR REVIEW, LEAVE IT A TEXT REVIEW, ALSO COMMENT AT YOUTUBE, it BUMPS THE ALGORITHM. So. Lots of great ways to get people interested in the show. Share it around with your friends. Send me those show requests. This is a show for us, right? And this is a listener-generated episode today. So I said at the early in the week I was going to do that, and I wanted to do that today. I wanted to have a listener-generated episode. This was sent to me by a listener wanting to know more about banking, right? We're seeing some problems, of course, in the American financial markets. You've got some pretty doom and gloom stuff out there. 
It's it's uh, it's concerning, and these are things that people have been saying for twenty plus years. Um, and the real threat, of course, as the Federal Reserve now is jacking up interest rates, what's going to happen? How long can they sustain those interest rates? Knowing what that's going to do when the Federal Reserve, the general government, owns most of the debt, right? So that to service that debt is going to require essentially printing more money. It's not going to solve the inflationary problem. And I'm not so certain they're going to be able to maintain this long term. Because if they keep the interest rates up where they are, you're going to run into problems with the budget of the United States government. And you have people saying, look, at, at interest rates of 3 and 4%, Within a matter of you know 20 years, the United States can't even meet any of its financial obligations. So what does that mean? They're going to have to put their interest rates back down again. We're going to have to have more inflation. So there are people, of course, that believe that inflation is just something we're going to have to live with. We're just going to have to live with you know almost double-digit inflation on a regular basis. But how that's not sustainable for a for a people long term because we know wages don't increase at that level either. It can't. Right? So you have to come up with a balance. Well, if you've created $6 trillion out of thin air, which is what happened during the pandemic, quote-unquote, guess what's going to happen? You're going to have massive inflation. And it's going to start hurting people in ways we don't even know yet. Of course, we're seeing the interest rates going up. The housing market's going to crash. All your equity is going to be wiped out because your house is, house is going to be worth less money because you have to pay more in interest. And most people don't pay cash for their house. So all of those equity numbers and everything else are based on how much, how low interest rates are and what you know interest rates determine what kind of equity, equity you have in your home. So all of that's going to be wiped out. You're not going to have any of that anymore. You're probably going to be underwater if you've bought any time in the last few years. It's just going to happen. If you're thinking about if you're going to stay in your house, that's not a big deal. If you're not going to do anything with it, but you're paying more for it than it's probably worth um, at the end of the day. So this is that's a real problem. But you know, people did bank in on they, they did bank on those uh, those good low interest rates. You know, two, three percent, one percent in some cases. But you know, th- that was good, um, and people did capitalize on that, and, and so that's good for those people that did it. But here's the thing, right? That interest rate, because the housing market is going to crash. That's going to create a ripple effect. We have all kinds of problems. People aren't going to buy houses anymore. They're going to, rent's going to go up. I mean, all these things are going to happen. Of course, food is the big issue for most people. We have shrinkflation going on. Prices are going up while the packages are getting smaller. So we're seeing some, some issues with that. People are complaining about this. There is no government solution for this when the government creates the problem. That's the real issue. There is no government solution. So with no government solution, um, when you rely on government to come back and say, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is what we got to do. We got to do X, Y, and Z. That becomes a major factor in uh, how we think about American politics. But banking has long been an issue in American politics. It's long been one of those things that people have worried about, and rightfully so. And so the question was, well, can you talk a little bit about banking in America? The resistance to central banking? Does the Federal Reserve fit in? Where does the Federal Reserve fit into all that? What about in the 19th century? What's this independent treasury stuff? How does all that work? So I thought I would give just a brief little history lesson on some of these things. And I would do it through the lens of an article that was written years ago by Bill Watkins at uh, FEE, the Foundation for Economic Education. 
And it was written in 1995. So I say years ago. I'm talking, you know, we're getting on near 30 years ago on this article now. Uh, Bill Watkins, of course, a great legal mind. He's, he's, he's really good on, on um, legal issues. He's uh, a great scholar of uh, the decentralist tradition in America. And, of course, he's written about John C. Calhoun. And that's what this article is about. The title is, in fact, John C. Calhoun, Champion of Sound Economics. Now, in the new book by Clyde Wilson on John C. Calhoun, uh, entitled Calhoun, um, you need to get that book, by the way, too. He actually has an essay on Calhoun where he talks about Calhoun's economic positions. This is often the overlooked part on John C. Calhoun. Calhoun knew more about economics than most people did in banking in the 19th century. He was really good on this issue. And I think people miss that. They forget that about John C. Calhoun. So we need to understand that Calhoun is um, one of those people that we should all pay attention to for a variety of reasons. And so um, here he says this, quote, History teaches us that pernicious economic policies can destroy a powerful nation in a surprisingly short period of time. When a government uses tools such as currency expansion, debt, and high tariffs, eventually uh, not even force will, be, will hold the nation together. Were we to heed the advice of statesmen from earlier eras, solutions to many of our most pressing problems will be clear. The first half of the 19th century is an excellent period to study in that many policies that were pursued greatly resemble recent economic misadventures. And of the statesmen fighting for sound economics during the turbulent years of the 19th century, John C. Calhoun was one of the most tenacious. Now, central banking has been an issue since, of course, Hamilton's proposal for a central banking system in 1791 or 1789 to 1791, right? But he, he was advocating for it pretty early on. Uh, but he had his report on the public credit in 1791. So the report on the public credit says, look, I mean, we can have a central bank because of the necessary and proper clause. And this is where Jefferson uh, very tersely rips it apart, and Hamilton responds with thousands of words and is just bowls over George Washington, and Washington signs the bank bill into law. Washington was going to have Madison be uh, write his veto message. He was going to veto it because he thought it was unconstitutional. We know it was because we know that both Madison and Hamilton had a long walk at the Philadelphia Convention, and they talked about banking. And they said, look, we're going to leave that out of the Constitution because it would not allow the Constitution to be ratified. There would be too much objection to it. We'll deal with this. We'll kick the can down the road. But this issue of banking, uh, internal improvements, these kind of things, this was brought up during the Philadelphia Convention, and it was explicitly rejected. So Hamilton knew full well that when he proposed a bank, it was not in the Constitution. It's not the powers of the Constitution to charter a corporation, which is what the bank is. So a national bank is a chartered entity, right, by the general government. That's illegal. There's no power for the general government to charter a corporation. And we know that the Jeffersonians generally rejected banking. But we also know that James Madison signed the second bank of the United States into law in, uh, in 1816 because the first bank had expired in 1811, we fought the War of 1812 without a central banking system. The United States had some financial problems. And so Madison signs the second bank of the United States into law. And his argument is, well, custom and precedent has made it constitutional. This is essentially, as I talked about earlier in this week in the Constitution, this is essentially Lincoln's argument. Well, hopefully over time, the things I do now, which are unconstitutional, will be seen as constitutional. <laughs> that's, that's the argument. 
It's not a real argument, but that's the argument, right? That's what Madison argued in 1816. We know then that 20 years later, the bank fails recharter under the administration of Andrew Jackson. Uh, this was presented as a possibility by Henry Clay when Clay was running against Jackson, and Jackson blasted it, vetoed a bank bill that would have rechartered the bank for another 20 years, and so the second bank of the United States folds in 1836. Also, we know that Martin Van Buren assumes the presidency in 1837, and for the next four years, we have a panic. There is a severe economic downturn. Part of this was caused by the instability created by the by the central banking system falling apart. So then Martin Van Buren starts advocating something known as an independent treasury. The independent treasury is something that most people don't understand. And it's and it maintained that was the banking system we had essentially until the early 20th century. The reason that lefties don't like it is because it does not really allow for inflation. You can't have a lot of inflation with the independent treasury. Even Lincoln recognized this, and the Republicans did during the war. They created the National Banking Acts, which allowed for the general government to issue current paper notes that were essentially taking on debt. Because what the independent treasury did was say, okay, to stop inflation, to stop these problems, all of our money, money, right, all of our all what we have in resources, financial resources, has to be in specie, gold and silver. And we cannot issue any currency, any notes that are not backed in gold and silver. So we've just created a hard currency. John C. Calhoun was one of the greatest champions of this, creating a hard currency and working against what's known as fractional reserve banking. Fractional reserve banking is where you have, you know, banks have to have only a fraction of the amount of money they lend out in actual deposits in their institutions. So they can lend out 95% higher than what deposits they actually have in their institutions. So this is why when there is a call and people run on the bank and they want their money out, the banks are going to start defaulting because they don't really have it. They don't have it there. They've lent it out or they don't have it. And, uh, and when people start defaulting on making their payments, the banks default too because they have to pay back the money they borrow from the Federal Reserve at an interest rate. And if people aren't paying that, then they can't make their payments to the Federal Reserve Bank. And so therefore, they fold as well. So there's a lot going on here. It's a very simplistic way of looking at this, but that's essentially what happens. So the independent treasury system was in place until the Federal Reserve was created. And why was the Federal Reserve created? Well, they told you it was created to control inflation. But that's not why it was created. It was created to make inflation. It was created to allow the general government to issue Federal Reserve notes, paper money, that aren't really backed by anything ultimately. Now, we know in 19, the 19-teens, up until Nixon took us off the gold standard uh, in the, uh, in, in when he became president, uh, we know at that point, right, that's when inflation went through the roof. But we did have inflation even with the Federal Reserve. We know that we still you could still redeem your, you still have silver certificates, you had gold certificates, you could still do that, take a $20 bill and get $20 in gold. We know this could happen, or $1 and uh, get $1 in silver. We know that happened. We know that's all gone now. And that's because we're off the gold standard. But the Federal Reserve worked to create paper currency so they could inflate the monetary supply, maybe not dramatically, but over time they could. One of the great opponents of that was John C. Calhoun, as 
Bill Watkins points out in this piece. So I want to get down to that part of this, sound money. He says, essential to Calhoun's recipe for competing in foreign markets and maintaining prosperity at home was a sound currency, fixed, stable, instead of an inflated and fluctuating one. That's Calhoun's words. A sound currency, fixed, stable, instead of an inflated and fluctuating one. Instead of an inflated and fluctuating one. Well, how are you going to do that? With the independent treasury. Because you make things, you have a hard money policy. Gold and silver. Gold and silver. Now, we know that at one point, we didn't even use silver as a medium of exchange in the United States. This is where people like William Jennings Bryan and others argued for silver to be uh, put back into circulation. That was seen as an inflationary move because uh, silver, of course, is going to lead to more money in circulation. So it's going to devalue the dollar. But um, regardless, it's still backed in sound money, right? You still have gold and silver, hard money in reserve. And that's all you can, if you only have $1,000 in gold, that's all you can put out there. You can't put out any more. If you only have $2,000 in gold and silver, you can only have $2,000 in circulation. It's all backed by gold and silver. Now, the government started playing with the ratios. That's where they really got into these things. Fix the weights and measures, right? So that's <laughs> they were able to play with the ratios to inflate the currency at times. And that's what they would do. But the, the, the fact is, this creates an anchor to your monetary system that we don't have anymore. The dollar was supposed to be seen as gold. It was going to be treated as gold. It was the anchor to the entire world financial system. And when we've just printed $6 trillion, it doesn't really act like a hard money anchor, does it? It acts like a commodity. And that's why we're seeing inflation the way we are. Unlike modern America's followers of the new economics, Calhoun understood the importance of a sound currency and realized that inflation robbed the working man of the fruits of his labor. If you go back to the National Democratic Party of 1896 in their campaign literature, this is one thing they pointed out. These are the gold Democrats. We want a working man to get 100 cents for every $1 he earns, not 90 cents or 85 cents. We want him to get 100 cents for a dollar. And we have that through sound currency, through sound money. Watkins says, currency expansion, according to Calhoun, quote, overthrew the almost entire machinery of commerce, precipitated hundreds of thousands from affluence to want, and corrupted pr private and public morals. Pre pre uh, precipitated hundreds of thousands from affluent to want. If you have an inflated currency, it makes people poor. Well, what are we seeing in America right now? The rich get richer, the poor get poor because we have an inflated currency. A lot of that money that went out during the pandemic is being, the financial markets are sitting on it. Trillions of dollars. They're sitting on it. There's been speculation as much as $5 trillion is being sat on by the, by the uh, powers that be, right? The, the big banks, the stock market, it's all being sat on somewhere. The financial houses, they're sitting on it. So it hasn't trickled down into the economy. They've got it. And that's usually what happens first. They get to spend it. They get to make a lot of dough on it. And then sometimes it trickles down. But what you're seeing now, there's a pressure on wages. You know, wages went way up because there was a labor, labor shortage. So people were paying more money for people to work. That's coming back down again because, you know, people aren't going to get 600 bucks a week. So... All these pressures are being put out. Your car prices are coming down. All this is happening 
construction materials. I mean, that's tanking because nobody's building any houses. Heck, the Chinese are going to have a recession. They're not building stuff anymore. So those things are going to come down. The price of all of that comes down. Well, that creates different kind of economic pressures. But Calhoun was right. You have more inflation, you have a poorer society. It's a tax. Watkins says, moreover, a stimulus, quote, caused by the expansion of currency would tempt numerous adventures to rush into the business, often without experience or capital. And the increased production would greatly accelerate the period of renewed distress and embarrassment. This is Calhoun's quote. A stimulus, meaning pumping money into the economy, caused by the expansion of currency. So the economy goes up because we expanded the currency. We pump money in. Would tempt numerous adventures to rush, adventurers to rush into the business, often without experience or capital. And the increased production would greatly accelerate the period of renewed distress and embarrassment. This is going to create a bad economic environment. This is, when I talk about Calhoun on this show, and I say, you should all go out and read Calhoun, I'm not doing that for my health, right? I mean, this is something I really believe you should be doing. If you really want a return to conservative government in America, it's John C. Calhoun. There's, there's nobody else. There really isn't anybody else. And because of race and slavery, and this is what, this is what the left will do, they will do it because they know that Calhoun was right on so many other things. Conservatives, quote-unquote conservatives, Straussians don't like Calhoun either because the left can use his positions for protection of minority rights, which is very important, right? I mean, that's what a written constitution is supposed to do. But anyways. With Misi inaccuracy, Calhoun recognized the nature of artificial periods of growth and the inevitable readjustments that must always follow. In an 1838 oration in the Senate, Calhoun proclaimed, quote, Nothing is more stimulating than an expanding and depreciating currency. It creates a delusive appearance of prosperity, which puts everything in motion. Everyone feels as if he were growing richer as prices rise, but it is the nature of stimulus to excite at first and to depress afterwards. You pump all the money in, economy looks great, everything goes up, but it has to have a correction. And we're seeing the correction coming, and it's going to be a bad one. A bad one. You can't keep propping this up because it just makes it worse. It's going to be bad. And Calhoun knew this in 1838. This is why, again, you should read John C. Calhoun. Not only did Calhoun oppose government, governmental machinations with currency for economic reasons, but as with Congress's power to lay tariffs, the power to coin money and regulate its value was also viewed as a trust power. It would be a violation of the people's trust to devalue their money and thus rob them of their earnings. Calhoun, like the framers, refused to give the general government the power to issue bills of credit, realized that government ought not to be trusted to make a piece of paper worth X amount of dollars by decree. I mean, this is important, right? We don't need to have all this money printed out there. This is great stuff. Though he was an enemy of paper currency, Calhoun refused to add his voice to measures designed to tax the circulation of small notes from state charter banks and thus increase the specie in circulation. Such a tax to Calhoun was a violation of the people's trust. He prophetically articulated what such a penal power would do in 1834 during a speech against the continuation of the charter of the Second Bank of the United States. Government would have, quote, an entire control over the property and pursuits of the community and thus concentrate and consolidate the entire power in Washington, D.C. Even when given the opportunity to strike at the circulation of paper, Calhoun was true to his principles and refused to violate the people's trust. So, again, a great 
part of this essay and why we should all listen to John C. Calhoun. Calhoun was uh, prescient, not only in government and what it does, but also banking and finance. This is where Clyde Wilson was so good in that book as he talks about Calhoun. He talks about the financial acumen of John C. Calhoun. He was better on banking than just about anybody else in the general government. You need to get that book, that Clyde Wilson book on John C. Calhoun. It's entitled Calhoun. It's really good. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Um, collection of essays, of course. If you go to abbeyvilleinstitute.org, there's a lot of essays by Clyde on Calhoun there too. Uh, so you can read those as well. Um, and we do a lot with Calhoun at abbeyvilleinstitute.org. I've done a lot with Calhoun there. Um, there's a recent video I just put up from the Abbeyville Institute uh, from the summer school this last year where I talked about Calhoun and why we should listen to Calhoun. So uh, look, I mentioned the Abbeville Institute because if you want to get my podcast five days a week, you can go to abbeyvilleinstitute.org and you can get their podcast there. I do it one time a week, the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. That's the fifth podcast of the week. So we've got these four. I had two longer podcasts this week and two little shorter podcasts. Um, so I appreciate you coming on for this. Don't forget to get that class, Causes of the Civil War. Use the coupon code CAUSES. Get $200 off. Get me live. Get on the camera with me. Ask me questions, direct questions. You don't have to, doesn't, it's not moderated. It doesn't have to go through anything. We're talking about the subject material at hand, of course, but a lot of times when I go on these Q&As or I do an interview with somebody, you can't ask me questions. Or if you ask me a question, you might get your question read. But when there's 100 people or 200 people on these things, chances are you're not going to. So this is a way for you to get direct access to me to answer questions and cover some really cool material at a fraction of the cost of what it would cost if you had to go sit in a classroom and pay for that at college or university. All right. Unless you get the Abbeville Institute podcast tomorrow, I'll see you next week on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.